This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in to Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. I am Mike Casazza welcoming in Chris Anderson. Chris, I'm going to say two things, and then I'm not going to repeat them the rest of the episode. Are you ready? Go for it. Number one, expansion. Number two, realignment. Oh, I thought you were going to say depth chart. No, I said that on weeks ago, actually. (laughs) I'm not going to repeat those terms. We've had enough of them. I can't promise that I won't throw out Pac-12 or the word alliance or anything like that because they may fit in uh, different scenarios here that we talk about. Perhaps a bowl game against the Pac-12, perhaps an alliance among the offensive linemen to liven up the running game, so on and so forth. But those first two words, I feel pretty good saying that we're not going to mention them at all. I feel confident that we have discussed it enough. We, we've ta- done one podcast on it then did a Q&A where we almost exclusively talked about it. So, yeah, I think uh, I think we're good for now until there's some more developments. And as far as I know, there hasn't really been any developments since the last time we spoke. This is me zipping my lips and <laughs> throwing away the key over my shoulder. We're gathered here today to talk about the first day of preseason practice at West Virginia. Do you, do you go camp? Do you go preseason practice? What do you call this? Because technically camp is like a two-week period, and then the preseason practice starts. I find it confusing, so I just call it preseason practice. What's the proper identifier here? Yeah, I always thought it was it was two weeks of fall camp and two weeks of preseason practice. Yeah. But, I mean, whatever. It's preseason I'm fine with just calling it that. 29 days for 25 practices. That leads you up to September 4 in College Park, Maryland. And I'm pretty sure this is accurate. The last time that West Virginia opened as a true road team against a non-conference opponent was the fabled Oklahoma win way back in the early 80s. That is, for me, I mean, almost a lifetime ago. Wow, that's pretty – is that is that true? I, I, mean, so. I assume you wouldn't say it if it wasn't true, but that's wow. That's kind of wild. I hadn't really thought about that. Other road openers, like you know, they've they've played neutral site games. Right. Um, they've been on the road in conference play. I think Boston College was Rodriguez's first game. I know they opened at Syracuse in two thousand and five. Um, they played East Carolina, but that was in Charlotte. So was that a true road game? That was ninety nine, I believe. Um, but as far as I can tell, that was the last one, and things turned out pretty well that season i think so um that was like one of the biggest wins in school history and then the last time that they actually did something like this i can go back and double check but i'm pretty sure that's accurate i'm sure i'll find out if it's wrong too but uh so yeah uh, it's a a different occasion and and again a long way from today but that's kind of what their challenge it's not something they do often or they want to do often but it's something that they do um this year against the maryland team that's I don't know, kind of intriguing, and we'll, we'll save our conversation for that opponent or other opponents when the time is more appropriate. Today, let's just talk about camp slash practice. Starts today, practice. I, I'm pretty sure, like, we're talking right now, and it's 930. I think I hear music. I'm in the shadow of the football complex. I'm, you know, like a five-minute walk away. 
but the practice field kind of butts up against my neighborhood. I'm pretty sure I can hear the music. So if they're on the field today, again, if there's a rustling in the bushes and a pair of binoculars poking out, it might be me. And you might hear this way afterwards. So you'll never know if it was me and it won't even matter at that point. But it's here. Been a long time. And I don't know. Things aren't necessarily back to normal, but this is going to feel a lot more like 2019 than 2020. I think that, you know, for, for realists, they hope it's more like 2020 than 2019 as far as the product on the field. Five and seven to six and four. All the seeds are there to be better again this year. A lot has to happen, but it starts today. Where do you begin? What's the the first line? What's the lead <laughs> if you're doing some sort of a preview about what they're about to do here for the next 29 days? Position, position battle, an overall goal. What do you think? Uh, I, I listed my top five position battles um today but i think and i think it starts with number one which is really like a one that could domino like have a cascading effect on the entire offensive line and and then the whatever decision that comes from the offensive line could have a a cascading effect on the running game and the passing game because we we've seen all these stats about how jared diggy's great when he's not pressured except last year he was pressured as much as anybody in the big 12 and one of the most pressured quarterbacks in the entire country. And that's that some of that's on him, but a lot of that's on the offensive line. And so then you come to the situation that West Virginia's in this fall where they're trying to figure out this Doug Nestor situation because I don't think it's crazy to say that he might be the best offensive lineman on the team. I don't think that's nuts. I mean, I know it's a little presumptuous since, you know, he just got here in the spring, but their question is, where do you put him? And we saw him play right guard. We saw him play right tackle. Uh, in the spring, it was mentioned that, hey, in the summer and the fall, it might try him out on the left-hand side of the offensive line. And if they do that, then, you know, maybe that's left tackle. I don't know if they, you know, if that's going to bump James Gmitter. So I think I'm assuming that means left tackle with Brandon Yates. But I, I, it, there's so many questions I have about what's the best approach to this. Do you always want to have your best offensive lineman at left tackle? Do you want to have Gmitter and Nestor on opposite sides of the line because they're the two most experienced offensive linemen on this team? Um, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of different ways you can go here. And however you can fix that one spot, wherever you put Nestor, changes or fixes and or fixes other spots off on the offensive line, which then helps fix the run game, which then helps fix the pass game which then might turn this into an entirely different team. So I think that's my focus right now is what happens with this offensive line. That is a swollen answer. I want to, <laughs> I want to come back and pop I, I pulled that right out of the mic, the mic playbook here. That just perfect. right out of your playbook. It's perfect. Let's go. We'll go back to that. Uh, so your, your premier headline then is offensive line question mark. Correct. Okay. I don't disagree there. Um, I, I can't remember where I did. I've been on the radio quite a bit the last, 10 or so days, you might imagine, Chris. And someone asked me whoa, about Whoa, whoa, all right, hot have shot. Have you heard? <laughs> Anyways, I, I'm losing track of these things, so I don't know if you and I talked about it or if I talked about it with somebody else. But to me, there's two. That's one for sure. What do they do with the offensive line? Because that that's attached to so many things. But I think what I'll, what I'll choose, separate from yours, but also as the answer here, is that let, let's agree that the defense is going to be not as good as last year. I just think it's going to be hard to be as good when you lose the talent that they lost. It doesn't mean they can't be good, but let's just assume that there's a drop-off. Not huge, not embarrassing, but understandable, and maybe it's a little bit less than what you expect because of some of the additions and improvements that occur and have been made to the roster. 
So let's just say they dropped. They were 10 last year. Let's say that people think they might drop to a six. They dropped to an eight, eight and a half, something like that. My question is, what do they do with the offense to compensate? So if the offense was a six and people say it has to get to a nine, how does it actually, or a seven, if it was a six and it has to get to an eight or an eight and a half, how do they actually get to a nine? You know what I mean? Like there's that, that gray area in between that could make up for what the defense maybe loses that the offense can gain above expectations. And how do they do that? Is it Daigie's improvement? Is the offensive line, as you mentioned, creating great pockets for Daigie and also great lanes for the running game? Is it outside receiver threats? Is it a breakthrough season for someone like Sam Brown or a rocket season for someone like Winston, right? I don't know. I'm very interested to see how they do that because I think the defense will take a step back. I don't think it'll be dramatic, but I think it'll be backward. But I think to be competitive and to be better than maybe outsiders think, the offense has to go to a level that it needs to go to, but also that one or two degrees above that. And I don't know how they're going to get there, but I'm very interested to see it. I think you get there the way that I was just talking about, right? Yeah, I think so. Which is why that's probably the right answer. Of course it's the right answer. That's the answer I gave. Let's go to run game because the line, I mean, literally everything revolves around Zach Frazier. But you mentioned Nestor. Everybody's mentioned Nestor. He was one of the top transfer acquisitions by the 24-7 portal rankings, so on and so forth. From the state, it's a great story. Played a lot and played well for a team that ran the ball very well at Tech. I don't think people realize how well and how often Tech ran the ball. We're sure that he's the fulcrum. We're sure, right? Because I think Mm -hmm. that's part of the spring, too. I think part of it, or the summer, too. I think part of it is, all right, is he a guard? Is he a tackle? Is he left? Is he right? I think part of it is, are we sure that he's the one to build around? Is there an answer to that already, or is that part of the next couple of weeks? I think that's part of the next couple of weeks. I think, I think that's what we got to figure out. So that leads me to this. Two years ago, number 12 in the country in usage rate for outside zone plays. Also the second worst running game in the country. Last year, number 13 in the country in usage rate for inside zone plays. Ooh. Um, still a pretty bad running game last year. In fact, if you go to the last two seasons, Rushing efficiency at 127 teams last year, 130 teams two years ago. So you're talking, you know, in that ballpark, not everybody played both seasons, three teams sat out. 119 in rushing efficiency. This has not been a very good run game. They tried outside zone. They tried inside zone. A lot of, I think, what they're going to do here, Nestor, guard, tackle, Nestor, left, right. Anybody that they put a tackler, guard, right side or left side is going to be figuring out, are they best at outside zone or inside zone? Brown's always been an inside zone guy, um, lean a lot in the outside zone. I think his personnel, and he's even said this, and his running back prefer outside zone too. I would think that the final product here, the final five on the offensive line, it's going to be who can do outside zone the best, which in this case means maybe Nestor's a tackle because the outside zone runs go to the tackle's hip, right? You're trying to get outside in the perimeter inside zone. You're kind of going off the guard's hip. So if they're an inside zone team, a guy like Nestor could be a guard. If you're an outside zone team, a guy like Nestor could be a tackle. So the preference for the running game may actually influence and ultimately settle their order on the offensive line. And we also have to take into account uh, Luddy Brown's <clears throat> what works best for him. Because I, I feel like he ran better last year in 2020. 
I think a lot of that, he broke a lot more tackles um, and kind of got downhill more. So maybe it's best if they do more inside and maybe Nestor should go in there. I, I don't know. I think um, I was not aware of this outside inside stuff. Mike, are you getting deep on me here? I wrote the story yesterday. Where were you at? Oh, I don't read your stories. <laughs> it's uh, it's up there now. Check it out because it's, it's talking about that to literally pick a lane about what they're going to do. And yeah. Not only are we going inside or outside, but what's our personnel? And you're right. Brown's stats are much better last year than ever before in his career. And the offense was more productive running the ball last year. But that wasn't because they had a, like a more mature and a more experienced running back. I think their offensive line was, well, I don't know, which offensive line was better, 19 or 20? 20 probably? Yeah, well, maybe. So but maybe oof. maybe inside zone was easier for all of them, but perhaps they're better at outside zone. And now those guys who were more experienced are even more experienced now. I think that's going to be interesting. Granted, they'll still play inside zone. They'll still run gap schemes and things like that. But um, I think that's an interesting part of it. Brown, for his credit, says that Letty Brown, his running back, is probably more comfortable at outside zone. And if you watch Letty Brown, it seems to me he's very comfortable running to a spot and then angling from there. So he's trying to get to a dot, like a launch point. So let me stretch it out as far as I can and then head up north. Um, and again, that's something else, too. You're going to have less contact outside, obviously, than inside. If you're pressing the perimeter, you're not hammering in between the the guard in the center or the tackle on the guard. You're trying to get outside, and they really want to keep the wear and tear off of Letty Brown this year. Have you, have you caught some of Brown's comments on that about he did wear down? That's why his you know late season numbers, but also his fourth quarter numbers were so bad and you know, that let's get him into less contact situations, which is great because it'd be awesome if your running back never got contacted, but less contact may mean fewer handoffs, but you want to get Letty Brown the ball. So let's put him out of receiver and let's loan bubbles and screens and things like that. Let's let him get, you know, instead of 20 handoffs, maybe it's 15 to five and he takes five tackles where he can step out of bounds or he's only one-on-one against, you know, a corner or a linebacker. Brown seems to think that he could take, some of the the load off of Brown, Letty Brown's shoulders by having him as a receiver where he's not going to face gang tackling situations. Do you, do you buy that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think he was impacted by some of that last year. I mean, we saw that Texas game, he got hurt. Was it like the first drive, like mm-hmm. within the first handful of plays and he, he did not look like himself, but he kind of like, I, I think, I think people are, uh, who is it that said that Rafael Palmero during the steroids thing? I think people are misremembering, uh, exactly how his season went because he was a little up and down like throughout the entire year even before that I mean he had the Texas Tech game and the Baylor game both averaging like three yards per carry um, you know th- th- it wasn't always a drastically improved running back now I mean he ended up with a great season overall everything looks very good you can't expect everybody to be amazing every single game but I mean, they they really pounded the rock with him. Like Baylor, he had 27 carries, which is a lot uh, for anybody, but especially a college college running back. And that's a lot of carries. And he still didn't break 100 yards. So, and then a couple weeks later, Texas Tech, 21 carries and 77 yards. So, I think he was a little up and down before then. And then you can tell by the amount of carries he had that they realized, hey, he's starting to get worn down. We need to pull back a little bit because it was 15 against Texas, 14 against Iowa State. Now, granted, that was a little bit of a, him being injured and then Iowa State being a blowout, but um, you got to give him some rest. I don't, I, I, and they did that all spring long, so maybe start ramping it up this fall. 
Maybe. Uh, one carry in overtime in that Baylor game. That was was that double overtime? It was double. Yeah, overtime. double, double. I think it was a touchdown run, as well. But he had one carry. Yeah, one carry, three yards, one touchdown. So he got most of his work in the first four quarters there too. Um, yeah, th- their plan for him is is going to be very interesting too. We saw, in that we didn't see it in the spring. He did not get a lot of work in the spring. They kept him out of contact stuff. I think Neil Brown said that Letty Brown was not tackled. Um, Maybe the spring game he did, but during the practices, they kept him on his feet the entire time. And when there was tackling, they they had him out playing receiver. Running backs catching passes is, I mean, to me, neck and neck with the tight ends are going to be part of the offense as far as folklore <laughs> covering the football team. But it does make sense. He has receiver skills. He's had pro, like pretty prolific receiver numbers at times. I'm not sure he's Kennedy McCoy, but he can do some things there. And they, they really seem like they want to get him the ball without getting him tackled. But that also does kind of the, the the amount of touches he gets, the amount of practice time he spends on different things. And more he practice something, again, tread tires, so to speak. That's that's a um, something they have to keep an eye on. But I think that the brakes are off here for him on practice reps and everything. I think you want to get him ready and sharp. I don't how many limitations or what type of a pitch count, I guess, do you think they'll have on him in camp? In camp, uh, probably, I, I think you'll see him, I don't want to say behind everybody else, but I doubt you'll see him getting tackled and stuff until mm-hmm. maybe like the week right before camp. Or, or maybe like uh, that middle week, like the second, you know, say we got four weeks until the game, which is about right. Uh, maybe the second and third week, he's getting a little contact, but he's not getting it this first week. They're going to ease him into the contact and then give him a little buffer zone at the end to make sure that he's fully healthy before that first game. Yep, got to be a plan. I think they probably have one. They're not new to it either. They did in the spring too. And I'm with you again, Chris. The right answer is they probably won't do a lot with him in camp because, hey, no need. And let's let's sharpen a various Sparrow, Tony Mathis. Let's see what Justin Johnson can do. And, oh, my God, that's it's Jalen Anderson's music, Chris. Yeah. Hey, yeah. And we got a little nervous there. And I mean, I admit I was a little nervous when all of a sudden, you know, he stops stops answering texts and messages for like four months about when he's getting to campus and, you know, pops in to talk to me about his brother at camp, but says absolutely nothing else. Every, every time I ask about when's he getting to camp, when's he getting up to WVU, when's his report date, mm-hmm. nada. Uh, get a little nervous when guys start getting, you know, bailing on those answers. But uh Sounds like he's going to be there. Yes, team confirmed. So in July, down at Media Days, I asked a team spokesperson. I did not get any like face-to-face one-on-one time with Neil Brown just because of the way that the protocol was there. Um, but I asked one of the team spokespersons, hey, any reason to worry? Nope, he'll be here. Okay. Made that a note in a story. Uh, <laughs> the signs were not leaning in that direction. Um, recently, but ultimately, the team comes back and confirms, no, he'll be here. Great. I'm presuming they mean that he's here today, but I haven't seen anything to that effect yet. I wasn't expecting like smoke from the chimney. Jalen Anderson's here, but I don't know, like welcome our last signee, something like that. He's enrolled, all that, but maybe he has an enrolled deck because I think school starts the Wednesday after next. So there's some yeah, time. Yeah, 18th so, or something like that. So again, I, I doubt on the inside they're as worried about these things as we are or, or even aware of them as we are. But here's a question I plan to ask Brown, and I'll see if you can, I don't know, if he can parrot your answer. How's that? Okay. He's he's very good. I think we agree with that. And mm-hmm. his his receiving numbers in high school, especially like early on in his career, I think he had 41 catches as a freshman. He had another year with 50 uh, in three seasons or three and a half seasons, darn near 120 catches. So he can do that. And if you look at his film, 
it looks very natural. So he can help. He can play a little bit like Brown. They're going to use Brown as a receiver running back. Anyways, the running stats, the receiving stats, the talent, the stars, all that stuff is there. How far behind is he? And do running backs have a sharper or softer learning curve? Oh, I think um, there, there, if there was a position where you can kind of come in later and, and pick everything up, I think running backs is it because I, I think he's he's already got the the, the skill sets of a, a very talented running back. He can do he can catch the ball out of the backfield, play receiver if you will, um, catch some passes. But I, I think hey, just grab the ball, find the lane, run, um, and, and you know because they've had the playbook for months. They give it when, once you sign your letter of intent, even if back in December, even if you're not enrolling until June or July of the following year. You have a playbook. You have a weight training program that they give you. Uh, you you get the film. I don't know if you get film, but you get you know the playbook, all the plays, learn the terminology. You get a weight training program from the strength and conditioning staff on what they want you to work on and what weight they want you in at. So if you have the motivation, you can pretty much cover most of everything that you need to have pre-fall camp. Um, but you know, you still got to actually play the game, but I think running back is one of those spots where you can pick it up pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good, that's a really good point, man. I hate to say this. You're actually having a really good, good <laughs> having a good day. <laughs> no, you're, you're taking questions and even answers out of my, my pocket here, which is fine because again, you can do a lot of the stuff away that you would do on campus. And I would say that they all, they, they repeat this point. Things they learned last year from when they had to split everybody up. You think mostly in the Zoom teaching context, they are still able to apply somewhat now. And, you know, when guys went away for whatever period of time during the break, here's the here's a 10 day workout plan or whatever. Well, why couldn't you do the same thing with Anderson? Hey, I'm not saying they're going to make him pick up like cement buckets like we saw players doing last season in, in lieu of weights. But, hey, here's a, you're at home. Are you near a gym? Yeah, do this. I think that stuff's easy to prescribe now. Another maybe positive of of the pandemic, if you will. Uh, another one is, and you've hit this, the way they're structuring practices that could be really beneficial too. Um, not all at once and not as much of a competition for reps. It looks like they're going to get more practice time for the coaches, not more for the players, but more players are going to get opportunities in practice. Explain their, their format here and why it makes sense. Well, they're doing the same thing that they did last year. Uh, they're going with the splitting it up into a gold and a blue and basically cutting the team in half. And I'm, I was told that it's not really going to be like first team, second team, third team, fourth team, kind of like before or, or first and third versus second and on one side and second and fourth on the other. But it, it's going to be just kind of a mix of everybody, at least for those first couple of weeks, just to get everybody reps and get everybody doing as much as possible. Um, I was kind of, I don't want to say surprised by that. I think part of it's just to keep up with, hey, let's try not to get a bunch of positive cases or anything here before the start of the season. And it's kind of beneficial to these guys, especially if we can do it for a couple of weeks at the start of fall camp to get everybody acclimated to what's going on and, and to this football program. So I think it's supposed to start out that way, and we'll see how long it sticks. Because, again, hey, it's all great and wonderful, unless you're one of the coaches who was already working you know, a hundred hours a week and is now having to do twice as many practices. Last year, probably the biggest benefactor of that 
that setup where you practice against half the team and maybe you don't see all the stars. Uh, I have a name in my head, and I think actually Brown even answered this too, but who do you think was the bi- biggest benefactor of that split squad practice last season? My The first thought in my head was uh, quarterback, but is it somebody else? Like I'm thinking Garrett Green, but... Daryl Porter. Daryl Porter. Mm-hmm. I, I'm almost positive Brown said that too, but he was showing off because he was there early, had a hot start, but he wasn't playing against the best receivers. Because, again, they dilute isn't the right word, but the practice competition level is diluted. You're not seeing the best players because half of them, so to speak, are in another practice. When they brought the whole gang together, he came down to earth a little bit. Um, And maybe that's why they're going to split things up a little bit differently, like you mentioned. But who might you see as a benefactor, maybe with more longevity than Porter, because his his star shined bright and then kind of faded a little bit last year. Um, But who is somebody that might benefit or, or... Maybe they want to see more of, and maybe that person doesn't benefit. But, like, for example, I'm just thinking here, but, like, Chris Mayo, that might be a guy who, when we list eight or ten offensive linemen, he's not in there because they do have good offensive linemen. But if the offensive line is thinned a little bit, he gets more reps. And all of a sudden, hey, we've seen more of this guy. We kind of like him. Let's put him higher in our pecking order once we do go full squad. Anybody like that or any position like that you think might be better because of this? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Edward Vesternin is where I'm going here. Um, European, uh, coming in, a little bit hobbled in the spring. I don't know how much he did during the summer, but, you know, if, assuming he's healthy now, he's he's there, and he can get those reps. I think we saw him listed as what? Uh, was he an or, or was he just a straight-up third-string nose tackle? He was third, and I think there were only two positions that had three names, and one was running back and one was, was the – I'll check, but keep going. Yeah. So it, it, regardless, he's he's either third string nose or second string or with somebody else. And that doesn't even include Daryl Middleton coming in from Tennessee and who knows where he's going to line up. And they're going to have all sorts of things where they're going to try different combinations, new players and new looks. And meanwhile, I think someone like Pasternin, who, uh, you know, again, arrived from Europe uh, relatively new to the game. And, but looks the part already. If you've seen him in person, uh-huh. already looks like he can. He's a grown man. Uh, so I think him getting those extra reps is really going to be beneficial down the road. I don't know if that means he's going to just slide right into the too deep this year as a true freshman, but I think it'll be very beneficial down the road. It is an or, by the way. So he's okay. You know, two A or two B. I'm not sure. Also, I'm quite sure about this. But fact check me. He's older than Jordan Jefferson, who's entering his third season, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, 20 pounds lighter, though. Jefferson, it, I've, I've been told, is a much more physically mature player. He was already physically impressive, but I think he's got muscle with that weight now, and explosion is the thing with him. Big year for him. Um, nothing against Vesterinen, but, man, if you're playing him number two snaps at nose, um, that that could be tough, too. Um, defensive line is one I want to talk about as well. Oh, I sh- let me answer that question there, too. Um, Sam Brown is a guy that I'm just really intrigued by, and I wonder, could he pick on cornerbacks a little bit? in a split squad and all of a sudden they say, this guy's way too good to be our third. Uh, what is he? Z our third Z receiver behind Ryan and as they sure they're, yeah. they're orbs, right. Yep. And 
I don't know. He's I just think he's a different cat. That would be one I would look at there, too. I think the offensive line, like I mentioned, would be a good one. Um, and then I don't want to pick on Porter again, but I think corners, this will be good for them because they're going to see they have guys that, I mean, Fortune's the only one for sure. Nothing against Jackie Matthews, but would I be surprised if Jackie Matthews wasn't the starter? No. Would I be surprised if Charles Woods jumped him? No. Would I be surprised if they said, you know, Daryl Porter's got it going again. Let's see more. And Daryl Porter ends up as a starter. I know he's Nick Troy Fortune's backup, but I think Fortune is on the other side of the field now, correct? Yeah. So maybe one of those three makes a move because I, I would I would think that they're going to get number one reps. No matter what they do, they're going to get number one reps. So this could be a really good idea, but I would watch cornerback. I'd watch offensive line. And, and if I had to pick out an individual, Sam Brown would be a good one there, too. Defensive line is very interesting for obvious reasons. They're they're kind of not changing their formula a little bit. I think that what they're going to do is an awful lot like what they did last year. Probably a bit of a misnomer in calling Darius Stills a nose. He's not a head-on, nose-to-nose with the center player. He kind of played over shoulders and, and tried to get out of double teams as best as he could that way. So Akeem Mesador does not look like Darius Stills, but doesn't play like him quite as much either in that he's probably twitchier, probably stronger. Um, at that explosion point in the middle. He could be pretty good there, but we saw him play outside last year, so putting him inside is different, but same plan, different personnel combinations. But I wonder how much he'll play tackle. I wonder how much they'll use other noses. I wonder how much Dante Stills will play nose. It's all very intriguing to me, but look at the names here at tackle. Stills, Thornton, Sean Martin. In the middle, you have Mesador, Jefferson, Vesteranen, and Daryl Middleton we'll get to. And Taj Alston, that's good news. And either Linnell Carr or Taurus Simmons at end. That's a good starting point there. Middleton is the the asterisk here because he's, what, 6'7", 305? Yeah. It doesn't fit what they're doing unless that they're going to have chances to be very big. And at this point, I'm thinking about Middleton inside and then Stills and Mesador outside. So that's a good addition there um that guy's played outside before too so i'm not saying he's gonna be defensive end but like if they want to get big they could put him a tackle for example um if they put him somewhere they might be able to get smaller at defensive end like you know you could probably afford to play Carr or simmons who are shorter but about the same weight as alston i think alston's probably got two or three inches on all of them actually four and five inches on both those guys so if they want to get big at one spot they can be speedy on the other Middleton just seems like a really nice chess piece to have. I don't know how much he'll play. I know he can. Uh, Big-time talent. Our 24-7 scouts thought that he would be a, a mid-to-early round draft pick when he signed with Tennessee not too long ago. Um, Ken has play outside and inside. I, I think this is like an under-the-radar addition we haven't even talked about yet, but I, I like this, and I think this is going to be fun to watch what they do with him. Um, how much is he inside, outside, but also what combinations change around him? Does he get some first-team reps? Uh, and when he's in, who's around him, and what's the plan when they use him? Because they can have a different plan with a guy like that. Yeah, I was curious how much this would impact, like, say, the plan for Mesador. I mean, we've heard all offseason about, hey, hey, it seems like a good idea to bulk him up a little bit, move him inside, he can do it all. And now that you add Middleton, it's like, do you want to do that? Do you want to move him inside? Do you want to move him out back to outside? Do you have to backtrack on the way maybe you changed his body? Or did you really not like change his body that much to where he can't play outside? So uh, I'm curious what – I don't want to say I'm more curious what the other players do with Middleton. Mm-hmm. 
but I am going to say that. Like I, I, I'm more, I'm more interested in how the other players fit around Middleton than I am how Middleton fits in there. Just because, as you noted, Middleton can has played basically everywhere on the defensive line, despite right. his size. He, he's kind of, you know, I think oh, I went back. I'm pulling up my uh, incident analysis where I referenced stuff from uh, Pro Football Focus scouts and. A lot of the times he was lining up as as R-E-O and L-E-O, which is right end outside, left end outside. So, I mean, it's hard to think of a 6'7", 300-plus-pound guy playing like an edge rusher, basically. But he's capable of doing that and has shown that already. Also had one snap at cornerback last year. <laughs> you remember the times they had X Low playing cornerback two years yeah. ago? Yeah. Well, what's going to happen when they go to Baylor and they put Middleton out of corner? Watch out. <laughs> I think I think it's a fun pick, uh, just a, a fun pickup that they can do some things with. And there may be times where there there may be games, let's think Oklahoma power running, for example, where if they're just blasting Mesador out of the middle, um, you know they like to pull a lot and pin people with, and they have the talent, the muscle to do that. It's a heck of a lot harder to move Middleton. So that might be an uh, there might be opponents, there might be situations. I'm not even talking goal line. It could be short yardage. Um, it could be certain teams or schemes that he just it's it's a really nice tool to have in the Army knife there. Um, which leads me to this new coaches in charge. There is AJ Jackson. Who's been around a little bit, but not in a position like he's in right now um, was at the FBS level for the first time as an on-field coach last year. Didn't coach correct at old dominion. Right. And he's here now coaching the defensive line, which is going to be, like I said, a really fun group to watch develop. And he'll have his hands in a lot of that, obviously with Jordan, Jefferson, I mean, literally looking over his shoulders, not only the defensive coordinator, but uh, a linebacker's coach now, too. But um, Jordan Leslie. Who did I call him? Jordan Jefferson. Jordan Jefferson. Oh, man. On the tongue. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> Jordan Leslie looking over his shoulder there. It didn't design right when I said it. Um, just talking to Dante Stills in Dallas and then uh, just some other side conversations I've had. People really like the the technical part that he's doing, which is all he can do right now. But. Uh, especially with pass rush. He's like he has a knack for getting players freed up or freeing themselves up for pass rush. Also making some inroads on recruiting, which is kind of some experience he has in Big Ten and SEC connections to. Um, what's your sense of what type of a coach they got in A.J. Jackson? Yeah, he seems to really be connecting with uh, a lot of the defensive lines and, and in recruiting too, as you noted. Like He's, he's got experience kind of everywhere. Um, he's, he got his start as a, 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 at least early in his career as a GA up at Penn state. So he's got some ties up there in, in Pennsylvania and really New Jersey, I think is where a lot of his connections are from that gig. And then once he started moving around the different spots, JMU old dominion, he made inroads up and down, uh, I 95, like from Richmond up to DC. And we've seen him bring in, you know, a couple big time recruits. Like, all of a sudden, you're talking, oh, hey, look, there's a quarterback in here. Oh, uh, there's a 300-pound four-star defensive lineman from Richmond uh, walking the sidelines right now that has never mentioned WVU before this. That's kind of crazy. Oh, here's two kids coming from D.C. that are top 247 recruits that have barely mentioned West Virginia before this. That's kind of awesome. So I think he's really connecting with these guys. And, you know, we've seen him work with, with defensive linemen at camps, I don't know how much I can really tell about how good of a coach he is from that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, again, if you're getting feedback from people that are like, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about, especially somebody like Dante Stills, you know, the leader of that defense, basically. 
if he is saying, if he has faith in the coach, if one of your leaders, and this goes for anybody, not just uh, AJ Jackson here, but if a leader on your team at a position or a whole side of the ball or the whole team has faith in a coach, everybody's going to have faith in the coach or more, at least more people are going to have faith in the coach. So I think that's a good sign that Dante Stills feels the way that he does about him. Yeah. I'm glad you catch that a little bit because people used to rave about Eric Slaughter. Eric Slaughter um, is selling insurance, I believe right now somewhere. Mm-hmm. Is that his name? Yeah. Slaughter? Yep. Yeah. And people liked him. And there's actually, I think this, believe it or not, when I was doing YouTube stuff, the daily mail and posting practice videos, he had by far the number one video on there for the longest time. Just him doing a push pull drill in practice. We were like, God, oh, this guy's great. He's going to be a huge addition. I don't think he signed a recruit the entire time he was here. And then, like I said, he was selling all state insurance in Texas for a long time after that. So out of football, I believe. And uh, it was pretty quick too. So let's see what happens, but good start for him. Um, we mentioned uh, Jordan Jefferson, AKA Jordan Leslie. He moves, he abdicates the defensive line position. I would say has fewer responsibilities as the, outside linebacker coach, but he's a defensive coordinator by himself right now. I, I like him being in charge of bayonets because that position has not been here what it was at, at Troy. He understands it probably more than anybody that's left here. Uh, that's a good move for me, I think. And he's got players that have some talent um, and experience. You're talking about Jared Bartlett, Vendarius Cowan. If someone's going to unlock Eddie Watkins over there, it's, it's probably going to be someone like Leslie who knows more than anybody else in the staff, like I said, what to do there. But I have zero problem with him switching positions, especially when it takes over one that he's so familiar with. That is something we've talked about ever since that that Neil Brown and his and his guys have arrived in Morgantown. We have talked about the defense being so good at Troy, and one of the keys to that defense was having this amazing bandit. Like that's that's the key. If you can have an amazing bandit, a disruptive bandit, your defense will be great. West Virginia's defense has been great, and the bandit position has been pretty darn bad, like below average. Now, I'm not trying to be dogging certain players or anything like that, but, you know, we've had they've had injuries. They've moved guys around. They've tried, you know, Mike guys at bandit, Wills at bandit, moving guys to different spots, just trying to find anything that will work. And the key for this defense, like if you can have an amazing defense with a with a subpar bandit, that's kind of amazing. So imagine how good this defense could be if they got production from that position, because th- that that position is made for production. Like it, it it's you're you're supposed to be padding your stats when you play that position, and West Virginia has not done that. Once again, that's the right answer. <laughs> You can play that position that works the best with the personnel who can play that position, and it's not as dramatic or as impactful as when you have somebody who can just be a wrecking ball and and cause all sorts of trouble off the edge. Do they have that? I think they have. I think Cowan can absolutely do it. Uh, Bartlett's been pretty good at getting into the backfield, not really finishing all the plays, but he's he's pretty good at with the motor. Next step for him is to make those plays and finish them. Um, and then I know he's listed as a Mike. I wonder if Deshaun Stevens sees some bandit. I could see it. I mean, they got to find they got to find somebody somewhere. And I still am a Cowan believer. I mean, I think the only thing that's really holding him back is injuries so far because he was kind of productive when he was healthy. But Stevens was really productive when he was healthy. Um, You know, he also has some injury issues and, and he showed more than just like, hey, just 
Like when you think of a Mike linebacker, you you might be thinking, hey, just some guy that stays in the middle and racks up a lot of tackles. Uh, he showed he could do more than that. He showed that he could get after uh, after the quarterback. He could rush. He could get in the backfield. So I, th- I feel like he's got the skill set or had the skill set pre-injury to play that bandit spot. Yeah, and Bandit and Mike are similar enough to where you're not going to have to learn a totally new position. Um, don't forget, well, when you call him Deshaun Stevens, call him first-round CFL draft pick Deshaun Stevens, by the way. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned stats, too. Um, I'm looking at his numbers here. 17 tackles for a loss, nine sacks in a season. Yeah. For a middle linebacker, Like that's that's not the type of thing you think about. You think about Tony Fields, very good middle linebacker. 120 tackles, Sure. He was not a TFL set guy, um, different player, different scheme, but like that's more toward what a middle linebacker does there too. And then uh, also not new, but Jeff Coons has a lot of newness around him and I'll be keeping an eye on what happens to his positions. Josh Chandler, Samita moves over from Will to Mike. That's official now. That's not really a surprise uh, behind him at Mike are Stevens and James Thomas, who they really like. They think he can get in the field and make plays a uh, special teamer for sure. But there might be situations where if and when Chandler Samita has to come off the field, Thomas can handle himself in there. Big kid, athletic, uh, a nice addition. And then Will, well, now we know where Lance Dixon goes. Probably wasn't a question there, but he's he's going to play Will. And X-Ray Low is in a position to start. But that's those are some familiar names and some new names, but familiar names in new and elevated positions, new names finally getting positions too. Uh, exciting time for Jeff Coons as he tries to – he's got him in the right spots, I think. We'll see maybe if Stevens moves and we'll see if Dixon can play as effectively as – you know, low, for example, can he overcome low? I don't know, but uh, a lot will be going on for him in the next two to four weeks as well. When you're talking about Jeff Coons and all the new people around him and being excited for him, I, I thought you were talking new long snappers, but okay. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> um, I, I know you love these type of questions, so I'll just go ahead and ask it. Uh, Tony Field's gone, undoubtedly an amazing player, but is the West Virginia linebacking core deeper? and better in 2021 than it was in 2020? Not better. Deeper is a good question, and we'll have an answer soon. Like, I, I think that if – I think Stevens has potential to help him. I'm not sure where, but, like, he's got experience, and he can play. So I think that that gives them an extra player. But, again, how is he getting Chandler Samito off the field? Probably not. I'm not suggesting that all of a sudden in game four – they go to Oklahoma, or maybe after game four, they play Texas Tech, and then all of a sudden Chandler Cimino's back at Will and Stevens is there. But, like, that's a good player, I mean, who's who's had All-America honors. Granted, it's at the FCS level, I get that, but, like, there's talent there and there's been productivity. That's a good depth piece. Uh, Dixon, I just don't know what they have with Dixon. I know he's a, a, a blue chipper for sure. I don't know what he can do yet. Um, but the potential you, you like a whole lot. So it could be deeper for sure. Like, if those guys click and if James Thomas follows through, and there's other players too, but... Quality of players, man, Fields is so good. It's hard to say that Chandler Samito can be that good. Um, and I think that some of the stuff they're talking about, the safeties, like, I don't know if, like, more one high is the idea, but I think you're going to see, like, an Alonzo Adai or a Sean Mahone floating around the line of scrimmage more because Tony Fields did so much of assisted tackles and chasing plays that you could kind of – you didn't have to really commit as much from the back end to the middle or to the front because Fields is going to be there and clean stuff up. I don't know that Chandler Samito can do that or that they have somebody who can do that fast enough, instinctual enough, just natural enough to go and help and assist and clean up plays and pursue. That may be why they're going to do some more stuff with like disguising or just moving their safeties closer to the line of scrimmage or one safety closer to the line of scrimmage. That makes me think that like 
they, from a talent perspective, I'm not saying it's a bad situation, but it's not quite the same. They're going to try to address that with, you know, other strong suits, their defense. Um, speaking of talent and, and depth and departures, safety and Tyke Smith gone. I know Spear kind of works out with cornerbacks a lot as far as position drills goes, but as far as this conversation, let's do a, a, a three safety look here. Um, how are you feeling about that? I think we, we posted that depth chart um, on the board, and a lot of people looked at it and said, that depth. Like, I mean, everybody's excited about Mahone and Die returning, but what are your thoughts on that, that position group as a whole right now? Probably not going to be what it looks like before long, I would think. Um, I People are, are way too comfortable with Scotty Young for my level of comfort. I just I know that they they're saying all the right things and teammates and coaches have said it, but we have an extremely small sample size at that position. He's played a lot. I get that, and he's played in ways that are more suited for Spear than for Free and Cat. Correct. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay with that. It's a good starting point, and I, I think I could be easily convinced that he's the guy there. And then I have no issue with the die. I think he can play all three spots, and Mahone is probably a Free Cat guy. I don't think he can get down to Spear, but. Those three could probably soak up a lot of the snaps. Trouble is, can that really work? I don't know. Can they be as exotic as they want to? I don't know. Um, I don't, I mean, Kerry Martin was a free. He is the cat now. I think if something happened at free and a die had to come off the field, if something happened at Spear and Young had to come off the field, I think a die would play Spear and then probably Martin would play free. And if, if Martin, if, if a die gets ejected or, or pulls a hamstring or whatever, has to leave the game, you probably have Martin there. So they have four that they like. Question is, there, how much do they rely on? Like, they like Davis Mallinger as the backup at free now. And that seems probably like the best spot for him. I'm not sure he would play a lot right away if something happened or if he had to. And then they're really going to have to heat up, you know, Aubrey Burks and St. McLeod. And then what do you think about Caleb Coleman? Is he a safety or a corner? Is he a spear? Is he a free? Like, what's what's his future right now? We may know sooner or later, but that's three guys that they're going to have to get looks at here. Yeah, I think I think he'll probably start at that free spot. I mean, as much as I like Malinger and I like his his speed and everything that he can bring, his athleticism, uh, a true freshman in that spot is, is kind of tough. And I think you'll see see Coleman kind of bounce around in that secondary, providing depth at a couple different spots. To I, I don't want to say make sure that West Virginia doesn't play Malinger, but man. A true freshman at the back end like that—that that, that's kind of hard to hard to do right now. You skipped my last uh, change, and it's kind of going over this. The secondary coach is Shadon Brown. Safeties are Dante Wright's area, so we're going to leave him out of this. And we just talked on safeties, so we can we can still hold this together. You didn't ruin it, Chris. <laughs> but he's got a lot going on too, because they lose Drayshawn Miller, they return Nick Troy Fortune. And they've got some players that they want to get out there. Um, not mentioned is Andrew Wilson-Lamp, who I think they were pretty happy with in the spring. I'm not sure how much he plays because Jackie Matthews. They went and they got Charles Woods. Um, Daryl Porter's back. They have some players there, too. But um, this, to me, almost feels like, like, how do you know who your second or third running backs are unless you play them? And I wonder, like, are we going to actually see more corners on the field this year? I could... In the past, when they've done this thing where they only played two people, I understand that because why would you take, for example, Akeem Bailey and Keith Washington off the field? Those are your best players. Keep them on as much as you want. Um, I'm not sure they have that. Like, Matthews is, is maybe good. We'll see. There was a time they thought he might be a safety or a nickel, but now he's a starting corner. 
I don't know, maybe Woods is that good and he just takes over. But I, I can see at least a one position, maybe two guys really pushing to the end here. And I wouldn't be surprised they played a bunch during games either. I this is uh this is your tight ends are gonna catch the ball, running backs are gonna play receiver thing <laughs> for me. Okay. Like yeah. Sure, we'll play more we'll play more corners, yeah, all the time. No, no. I it's gonna be two, maybe three, mm-hmm. uh, and that'll be it unless there's there's injuries and and that's that. You're still Team Woods. I mean, I'm still. I, I still my pick. I like it, and it's nothing against Matthews because I think, I uh, you know we didn't get to see him much. Again, to our point of, they only play two. Um, he didn't play like I think it was like a handful of snaps, like defensive snaps. I know he was in special teams some, but a handful of snaps all season long, until he got thrust into that starting job for the bowl game. But that was against Army, who doesn't pass the ball. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what we have. In Jackie Matthews, I don't know what um, you have really outside of Nick Troy Fortune, and the only person that has shown that they can play—it's—it's uh, it's FCS, not FBS—but the only one that has consistently shown that they can play and and excel at Division One football, right? So far, is Charles Woods outside of Fortune. So Woods, backup corner, Middleton, I would say. Would you put Middleton above Jefferson slash Vesteranen, or would you put him or and or? And then next. I mean, if you're asking me, like, if I'm coach and trying to keep everybody's feelings nice and happy for the start of fall camp, I'll put him as an or somewhere. But I think we all know that he's probably at the very least backup. Yeah. So Middleton, Dixon at linebacker, I skipped. Mentioned Woods, mentioned Nestor. That's four of their – Four-year school transfers, I guess you would call the Division One now, and they're all two deep players. That's pretty good work considering what they had to do. And then for some of that on the fly too, they weren't expecting to have to go get a cornerback, for example, um, to get four guys from the portal and to have them be in the position to start or play. I mean, you got to be impressed with that, I would think. Yeah, I think so. I think they did a nice job of keeping spots open. Um, and heck, even when it didn't seem like they had spots open, just. There's going to be spots created somehow. We talk about it. We've talked about it ever since he uh, Neil Browner arrived a couple years ago when he said, we'll get creative, I think was his exact quote, uh, with how they're going to add guys. And we've kind of joked about it, about how how does this even make sense? There, There's not enough spots left. And I think the, the move is it's going to just keep happening. They're going to keep pulling from ahead, you know, taking taking a spot or two from the next class to help fill this class and add to it and just kind of keep doing that until they don't need it anymore. And and I think they've done a nice job of making sure they have that wiggle room and know how to kind of tweak, uh, they're not tweaking the rules, but tweak the roster a little bit to get the help they need to fill the gaps that they have. And finally, uh, what people don't know, Chris, is you actually had your title originally six depth chart battles um but for space constraints you kept out the long snapper battle i'm trying not to step on your toes here listen uh, we joke about it and my obsession or interest or whatever with special teams but we're gonna see it in practice because they show us that when we're allowed to watch it and never mind we'll be allowed to watch everything on saturday i guess but it's going to start with special teams and then the half an hour that we get to watch some days is special teams and it's going to get attention from the coaches like they're committed to that but um Really, just two spots, actually three spots, I guess, are, are settled. Um, punter is Tyler Sumter. I'm not sure they have a rival for him there. Uh, kickoffs, Casey Leg. I would 
not be shocked if many people handle that job. So I, don't, I wouldn't call that, uh, you know, a settled competition. Grayson Malisevich is the unquestioned holder. Mm-hmm. But you know, the kickoff return, punt return, whatever, those are going to be fun things. They have a kickoff now. They have Winston Wright. Can't be surprised. He has a touchdown. A various Sparrow, really fast. One of the probably faster guys on the team, and he's one cut and go. You let that on kickoff. Punt, Malisevich. And Winston Wright, right for kickoff and punt, different skills. I don't know if that'll happen or not, but you'll see different people in there, I'm sure. Uh, I think Malashevich is an interesting one. Kicking, though. Evan Staley back. I think cleared, ready to go. Or Tyler Sumter. But there are other people here. Like, Casey Legg is still around. Colin Paris was very highly regarded. He's on the team now as a redshirt freshman. He was with the team, but he wasn't really on the team last year. Danny King, they really like. I believe he's a kicker as well. They have legs here. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but if someone struggles, you're going to get punted to the side because someone else is going to get a chance. I don't think they're going to mess around with this. Uh, I don't think they want musical kickers during the season. This this might actually be a competition. This is not just me saying this, but like this might actually be a battle because they have players. They have like legs and they have guys that they really like and they brought in and invested in. Like Colin Paris is not a name that people know. Maybe you can talk more about him too, but to have him come in and keep him to the side and redshirt him and to him to to commit and to stick with it, like that's a guy that maybe people don't know about, but he might be a factor here too. Staley and Sumter are ahead for sure. Leg is ahead for sure, but again, if you struggle, you might be making room for somebody else. Yeah, I mean, uh, Paris and King, I remember that they were both part of the same class, both walk-ons, and it was kind of just one of those moments where it's like, wow, these are two, you know, they have different rankings for kickers. Like, uh, you know, these guys are two of the top, like, uh, say, 50 kickers in the entire country, two of the top 30 kickers maybe in the entire country, and both of them are walking on at West Virginia at the same exact time. They are very good. So I think they are almost certainly in the mix there. You know, Paris was – I don't know how much he would have been in the mix, but he got sidelined by some of the, the COVID stuff. And no, that's not me, you know, breaking HIPAA or whatever. That was that was posted by him online. It was on our board, uh, I believe, from a family member. So it's not, it's not some breaking news or anything like that. Um, but that's that's four. And you're right. I think, you know, Casey Legg's got to be in there. Uh, that That's five guys. Oh, my God, Chris. Colton McGee has a scholarship. We forgot him. Well, and I'm I'm thinking I was about to bring that up because I'm thinking uh, looking at McGee more as the punter, uh, which was another conversation I think we need to have is that I'm surprised not to see McGee on here because he was on there, um, you know, back in December for the bowl game. I believe he was the the punter. I think he was an or with Tyler Sumter. I know they were flipping back and forth, and I think he like helped out with um, kickoffs maybe after a leg. I can't remember. I think, he, but he was maybe second on kickoffs too. And, and he's nowhere to be found on this depth chart right now. And he was one of the top kickers and has, and is on scholarship, as you noted, um, for kickoffs punters. So there's some talented specialists on this team right now. And I'm with you. I think there could be a pretty serious competition going on this fall. Yeah. It's not just me saying this because that's my, the card I play for, for chuckles. Like there, this is actually going to be something to look at. Um, actually McGee punted last year because, they they had this weird thing where all of a sudden I don't know if Sumter struggled or he just he was off, but Sumter was doing the short kicks and McGee was doing the long ones, I believe. Right. He punted nine times in four games. Trouble is the long punt guy averaged thirty nine point seven yards per kick. So maybe they had that roles reversed. But it does seem like he's trending toward punter. Um it, what will be interesting here, Sumter, King, McGee, 
Paris and Leighton Bechtel, who's been around a while, um, they're all kicker slash punter. So to the point here, they probably haven't even decided where some of these kids go. Next two to four weeks are really important. Um, and again, if you struggle, you're not going to have long to get yourself righted because they're going to spend that time on somebody else and they're going to want to get this thing figured out. But that'll probably be like a season long thing. That should be that should be interesting. Uh, do you want to discuss the or at long snapper? J.P. Hadley or Austin Brinkman? Oh, Brinkman better bring it. That's all I'm saying. He, he was pretty good. I actually saw him at camp because he showed up to a camp, worked out at tight end. Um, this was two years ago, two summers ago. Worked out at tight end, and then all of a sudden I saw him get pulled aside um, by a couple of the coaches, and he basically had a solo tryout in front of like 10 coaches and his analysts and whatever else, long snapping, um, just whizzing the ball by. Um, and, and look pretty good. Uh, you know, that's two years ago. We'll see how he develops, uh, developed over that time. And, and if he's able to contribute, cause knock on wood here, West Virginia has had some outstanding long snappers in yeah. recent years. And like, we never have to, I mean, I know you always talk about them, but the general public never has to talk about them because they haven't screwed up like in years. So, um, West Virginia's had a nice string of, of long snappers going, whatever they're doing, they're doing it right. Whatever they're teaching, they're teaching it right. And, and I think either one of these guys will probably be just fine. Yeah, Brinkman's a great story. It's not as great of a story as two-time lacrosse All-American Leighton Bechtel making the team as a punter and a kicker, but um, it's a good story there, too. Glad you yeah. that one in. Um, I was trying to think in my head the last time they yacked a snap. Was it the bowl game? Oh, crap. Did they do that in the bowl game? I know one hit Malashevich. In a, in a weird spot, and he couldn't get to it, or he couldn't get it down. I want to say it was the bowl game. I know I didn't do my homework on this. Oh, I don't have no. a tattoo for that one, but I'm trying to think if that was it. Anyways, it's you're right. It's it's it stands out in that it stands out. It doesn't happen very often. I think Pat McAfee won his entire career without a bad um, a bad snap. He once said too. So that's for as long as often as he kicked. That was pretty impressive. And I can't think of too many disasters through the years. I'm sure there's been a bad plant or laces in or something like that, but like a erratic snap or somebody who got the yips or the twisties or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. That hasn't really happened, but if they do, I don't know, man, maybe if Hadley starts sailing them left or right, you got Brinkman in the bullpen. He can come in, but anyways, position of depth they're dealing with. That's part of a, a stronger roster. It's not only on your offensive line and your linebackers and your running backs. It's, it's situations like this where, you know, you're really going to ask a lot of your kickers here and put them under pressure before you have to do so in a game um, or your holders or your snappers and, that's healthy, I think. So all jokes aside, that's a good thing. That's, that's obviously something I'll be watching, but I think it's going to be something that we'll actually see. And you might see results in the field. You'll get the most reliable kicker and punter and snapper out there because they'll have been tested throughout the preseason. Now I need to go take a shower. Yeah. <laughs> go, go cool off now. I'm in a lather now. We're good. Yeah, we got to wrap it up because we got Neil Brown later this afternoon. We got to go talk to the start of fall camp. Be back with his highlights after that. Practice open tomorrow. We'll have everything covered. Um, practice thread. Thoughts about what we saw. And then what Jared Parker and Jordan Leslie had to say afterward. Catch it here at earsports.com. Until then, I'm Mike Cazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you later. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.